have sound? Yeah, can you hear me? Good. <laughs> okay, good morning. Um, it feels like it's been a lot longer than just one week that I've been away, but uh, for those of you, if you don't know, I was in Swaziland last weekend, literally just for the weekend, um, with Team Hope, who we partnered with this year to do our shoebox appeal. Um, and so, you know, it was funny, we were laughing about it, I was laughing about it yesterday with Jesse that, uh, so originally I was meant to be speaking last week and David was meant to be speaking this week, but God obviously knew that Sarah was going to be here this week, which meant David couldn't speak this week, so he had to send me to Swaziland, and you know, I, I'm not opposed to that in the future, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not going to be speaking too much about the trip, but if you want to hear, I would love to share it with you after, so feel free uh, to come and ask me about that. Um, so this morning we are, like Neil said, continuing our series on beautiful surrender. And whenever I was praying about where to take that next after, after the last couple of weeks, I felt like God gave me the title, Expectation versus Reality. Uh, there's a website I really like called Pinterest. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but it's a really good um, place or website um, it's great for, for coming up with ideas. I use it a lot for kids' ministry things, but it's one of those places that you can search for ideas and it has ideas and you can save your ideas and you can spend hours and hours just looking through all these different ideas. Um, and one of the things that you begin to notice the more you use it is that how... So whenever, when people put these ideas up, they show you the step-by-step instructions how to achieve something. And actually, when you try to do it yourself, sometimes those three steps aren't quite as straightforward as it looks. And so although it looks like it's seemingly simple, eh, in actual fact, it never quite works out the same. Um, so now there's a series of photos going around eh, called Expectation versus Reality or Pinterest Fails. Um, so let's see if we can get them to come up. It's going to work. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so here's the first one. This lovely, colourful range of pancakes. So this was the this was the Pinterest image that they got given. And the <laughs> this was the, the attempt. <laughs> Here's a, a fun a monkey birthday cake. This is <laughs> we have a sandcastle. I'm sure. I don't know if any of you enjoy making sandcastles, but uh, here's this masterpiece of a sandcastle, and here's what the person ended up with. Oh, stuck. There we go. <laughs> I have this cute picture of a baby inside a watermelon, as you do, uh, and when the parents tried it themselves. <laughs> Last one. Uh, another, another cute baby one but not so cute result. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay. I'll take it down. So yeah, so we all live in this um, balance of living, or living with our expectations and living with reality. Uh, the world we live in projects these images of what our reality maybe should be, what we need to to live, um, telling us that we, if, if we have 
a certain house or if we look a certain way or if we dress a certain way that it will make us happy. We're given these expectations from an early age telling us that if we have X, Y and Z our, our reality will meet our expectations and we will be happy. But one of the problems is that often these images of what we expect to see don't quite match up or they're filtered they're you know we don't know how many attempts it took those people to get those first images and I'm sure there was a few of the second images in the process to get to those first ones so you know so only the good bits are made public only the good bits are really shared often and this can cause us to have unhealthy or unrealistic expectations of what life is or what life should be or what it's supposed to be like And the problem for many of us then comes when our expectations and our realities don't match up. Disappointment is the non-fulfillment of expectation. I wonder for many of us how often our struggle to surrender to God is rooted in our past disappointments. I'm sure we can all think of times where we've been disappointed by something. I don't know if you ever remember as a child when your birthday or when Christmas was coming up and you'd get so excited at the thought, Christmas is coming or my birthday's coming and I'm going to have a great party and I'm going to get lots of gifts and I'm going to have lots of fun. And so the excitement and the anticipation for the day builds up and you have this really high expectation that the night before comes and you can't sleep because you're just so excited by what the next day is going to bring. And then the next day comes and you do get lots of presents and you do have lots of fun and all your friends come, but maybe you didn't get that one present that you'd hoped for or maybe that one friend you'd invited didn't come. Or maybe it was just that you built the day up so much in your mind that the reality was never going to quite match up to your expectations of it. And as a result, regardless of how much fun and how, much, how good the day was, you end up feeling a sense of disappointment because it just didn't quite match up. Your reality didn't match up with your expectation. Now that might seem like a bit of a trivial example, But sometimes when we, when we are disappointed in situations, we carry that disappointment into the future. That, so then the, the next year, when you're looking forward to your birthday or Christmas, your expectation drops just that little bit because you don't want to have that same feeling of disappointment. Disappointment can have a lasting impact on our lives and disappointment of the past can rob us of joy today. So this morning, we're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis with a family that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. But there's something that I want you to notice particularly about this family. Like most families, the story begins with a young man falling in love with a young woman. But what should have been the happiest day of their lives ends up being a day filled with disappointment. In Genesis 29, we read the story of Jacob, Rachel and Leah. Jacob desired to marry Rachel. When he first met her, he fell in love. The Bible says that he was so overwhelmed by his love for Rachel that he went to her father to ask for her hand in marriage. And to earn her hand in marriage, Jacob had to work seven years. He made an agreement with her father to earn her hand by working for seven years. But Laban, because of the customs of the land, tricked Jacob So instead of giving Jacob his, his younger daughter, Rachel, Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah. As was customary, Leah would have been wearing quite a heavy veil at the wedding, which meant that, that it could go undetected that actually the bride was the wrong person until the marriage was complete. 
Imagine for Jacob the disappointment he must have felt in that moment. And in fact, disappointment probably doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how Jacob was feeling. Imagine working for seven years for something with a specific goal in mind. And it comes, the day comes eventually when you're going to get that goal, when you're going to achieve what it is you were setting out to achieve. And all of a sudden, the, the goal's changed. And the outcome is switched. When Jacob confronted Laban, Laban revealed the truth of the situation, that the customs of the land dictated that the oldest daughter must be married first. And the Bible goes on to tell us that after, so then after, eh, after Jacob was married to Leah, after the customary time of a week that the wedding celebrations went on, Laban allowed him to marry Rachel. The Bible says, when the Lord saw Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. For women in those days, their value came from their fertility and their ability to produce an heir. Now, Rachel was barren, and we don't know where Rachel was in the story whenever uh, Jacob and Leah were getting married. But undoubtedly, she would have been carrying disappointment. Disappointment in her father, disappointment in the situation, and maybe even disappointment in her sister. Often we undervalue the power of disappointment and the power it can have in our lives. Disappointment can breed within us and it can cause unhealthy discontent, jealousy, bitterness and anger. And for Rachel, this disappointment was so rooted in her heart that even when she was able to marry Jacob, even when she was able to be with the love of her life, she wasn't content. These two sisters were probably looking at each other Rachel looking at Leah thinking she was able to have children. And Leah looking at Rachel thinking she has the love of her husband. And it's funny how the grass can always seem greener on the other side. So rooted was this jealousy in Rachel's heart that she decided to take matters into her own hands. She brought before Jacob her servant to use as a surrogate. Now, this wasn't an uncommon occurrence, and we see it happen with Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Through her servant, Jacob had two children. And now, if this family situation wasn't complicated enough, Leah, who had stopped being able to have children after having four children for Jacob, decided to bring her own servant to Jacob and have children through her servant. That's a bit of a messy situation. But this is, the, this is the stage that's set for the person that we're really going to focus in on this morning. This morning we're going to look at the life of Joseph. But it's important to understand the situation that Joseph was coming into. I wanted to spend those few moments setting the scene so that we can understand some of the things that Joseph had to deal with in the, in the family and in the life that he was brought into. The children of Jacob were born into a home filled with disappointment. So we're going to pick the story up in Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the son of Zipla. His father's wives Sorry, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report of them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. 
When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you have had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his, father's kept, his father kept the matter in mind. So in the Hebrew tradition, it's when, Jacob calls, when Jacob calls Joseph the son of his, his father's old age, it shows Jacob's preference for Joseph. Despite in actual fact Benjamin being the youngest son and technically the true son of his old age, Joseph was his father's favorite. Added to this, this title was usually given to a person who showed wisdom beyond his years. And it's probably for these reasons that J- Jacob trusted Joseph. He was given the responsibility for caring for one of his flocks. And that favoritism was noticed by his brothers. It's funny how history can repeat itself. Leah was hated and Rachel was favored. And now her children felt that jealousy. And this family friction spread into the next generation. So when Joseph was shown favoritism, his brothers hated him. I always wondered why in this story, when when I read it, why Joseph told his brothers about his dream. Because we know that Joseph is seen as wise. Was it really wise of him to share this dream with his brothers? He knew his brothers hated him. And he, I don't know about you, but any time that you're in a situation where you know people don't like you, the last thing you want to do is say, oh, you know, I had this dream and you're going to bow down to me. I don't... It's not exactly going to earn you any brownie points with them. And so the the Bible tells us that his brothers hated him because of this dream. So not only was it not a wise thing, or not only could it be seen as not a wise thing to do one time, he did it twice. So why, when it wasn't going to help his situation with his brothers, did he still decide to tell them? I wonder if it's because Joseph had an encounter with the father. God spoke to Joseph in his dreams, revealing what was to come. And Joseph just couldn't contain this encounter with God. Have you ever had that feeling when God speaks to you and you just can't help but share it with the people around you, share what he has done, share what he has spoken to you? The danger of living with disappointment and jealousy is that we can become like Joseph's brothers. We can't celebrate or it prevents us from celebrating with other people because of disappointment that we are carrying. Joseph's brothers could have enjoyed and celebrated with him that God had revealed some of the future to them, but because of their jealousy, they couldn't. Disappointments of the past can rob us of the joys of today. What Joseph's brothers didn't know is that God was revealing to Joseph how he would use Joseph to save them. I wonder if we have ever allowed disappointment not only to take our ability to be joyful for others, but to take the impact that their joy could have on our lives. This morning when I was, 
or when I was getting ready for this morning. I just felt like disappointment was something that God wanted to speak to us about and challenge us about. Maybe you're carrying disappointment because you expected God to do something, to heal someone, to save someone, to change a situation, to reconcile a relationship, but nothing's happened, or it's not happened in the way you were hoping it would. It doesn't seem to have changed. You may even have been watching other people have breakthrough in the areas that you're seeking breakthrough in, but nothing's changing in your life. When I was preparing, I was thinking, yeah, God, that, that's good, but how does that, I, how can I speak that from a personal point of view? And God revealed to me, actually, there are areas that I carry disappointment to. For as long as I can remember, I've been praying for my family to know Jesus. And that's not happened yet. Now, I fully believe it will happen and that God will use it for his glory. But if I'm honest, I have a sense of disappointment that it's not happened yet. And I've witnessed it happening in the lives of the people around me. But it's not happened for me or in my family. And what God showed me is that I really, in this situation, need to fully surrender control to him. I need to surrender the illusion that I have any control in this situation to him. It's not in my power, but it's in his control. And I need to fully trust God with my family members. I need to surrender my disappointment and any disappointment in any areas where I'm trying to control the situation. While, while I was in Swaziland, we got to, the opportunity to go to what's called a child-led home. Um, and it's literally what it says on the tin. There's 15,000 homes in Swaziland that are led by children and basically that just means that it's a house and there's no parents. And we got to visit this particular home and there was a, a girl at 19 and she had two cousins that lived with her and she had her own daughter who was 18 months. These children, from, from she, this girl from when she was a baby, has never known life with a parent. She's never known the experience of being cared for or having a guardian to look after you. And while, while I was thinking about that, after, I was, after the trip, I was thinking about it, and God just spoke to me in that moment and said, you know, how many people... So, yeah, there's 15,000 children in Swaziland living without, their, without a family or without parents, but how many people across the world are trying to live their lives without me? Joseph's brothers had a choice. They chose to allow themselves to be blinded by jealousy. They were so blinded that they weren't able to see that Joseph had heard from the Lord. And instead, they became so overwhelmed by their jealousy, they decided to try and take control. They blamed Joseph for their discontent. And when they came to the point where they could no longer handle their insecurities and their feelings of not being good enough, and ultimately the jealousy that it caused, they took control in the only way they could. They saw Joseph as the problem, and their solution was to destroy the source of the problem. Do you know when you're weeding in a garden and you're trying to get rid of a, a plant that you don't want or a weed that you don't want? You have to dig it out properly and get all the roots out, otherwise there's a chance it could grow back. And often problems are similar. Sometimes we think we know what the, the, the source is and we, we get rid of that and throw that away and surrender that, but actually it's much deeper. And it might come back and, and appear in different ways, yet it's still the same root, of, or the problem is still has the same root. 
like Joseph's brothers thought that getting rid of Joseph was going to solve their problems. But their problems stemmed much deeper. Not only do we need to surrender our problems to God, but we need to allow him to show us the solution as well. Sometimes, like the brothers, we're quick to lay blame on something or someone else. But more often than not, we need to really search our own hearts and make changes in ourselves. Now, instead of killing him, Joseph's brothers ended up selling him into slavery. Joseph was left with little choice but to surrender fully to God. He had very little control of what was happening to him, but the control he did have, he surrendered. It would have been easy for Joseph to give up hope, to stop caring, to stop trying, to allow the hurt his brothers had caused him, to allow the hurt of their betrayal to fill him with pain and hatred. And at this point in his life, he probably felt as far away from those dreams as he possibly could be. Yet in the midst of this messed up situation, Joseph chose to stay true to his character. He stayed true to who God made him to be. In chapter 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And it could have been easy for Joseph to grow bitter and to close his heart because of what he'd he'd gone through, what he'd walked through. He could have even blamed God for allowing the things that happened to him. It maybe crossed his mind. But if Joseph had entertained those thoughts, if he had given them time and room in his heart to take root, God would not have been able to use him to save the nation and restore his family. Joseph knew who he was and he knew what God had created him for. Although he didn't know the journey he would have to take to achieve God's purposes, he chose to trust God and surrender control. Now my journey has been nothing like Joseph's, but I think, for me, sometimes God shows us snippets of what's going to happen. So, like, Joseph was only shown a small part of what his future would be. He wasn't shown the journey. So, for me, standing here five years after moving here, if God had shown me five years ago that I would be still here five years, I'm not sure I would have been brave enough to to get on the boat to come. And I love what the Bible says here that because of Joseph, Potiphar's household prospered. Through our relationship with God, we can bring prosperity and blessing to the people who don't know him. We can reveal God through through his using us in the situation he's placed us in. 
God can bring prosperity and blessing to the people who don't know him through us and through our hearts being open to serve him where he has placed us. We can bring him into different situations in our work, in our day-to-day lives. We can bring him to different businesses, to colleagues, to our fellow students. In any situation we are in, we can bring God. And yet despite this prosperity, and just when things were looking up for Joseph, in comes Potiphar's wife. After, the, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And then, despite Joseph's integrity and despite his heart to seek God, Joseph was still thrown in jail because of Potiphar's wife's lies. And once again, anyone looking on seeing Joseph in this, in, thrown into prison would think that Joseph's dream that he had had all those years ago would never become a reality. God has a purpose for each one of us. He created us with a plan in mind. And sometimes in our moments of disappointment, it can be easy to look at those around us and think, God, why have you put me on this path? Why couldn't I walk their path? Why did you have to put me on this one? Not every situation we face is good. Bad things happen and difficult situations arrive. But God is a good God. He is the God of restoration and he wants to create beauty out of the ashes of our lives. He wants to redeem the disappointments that we carry. God has been speaking to me personally a lot recently about surrendering control. Sometimes I think we believe that we have surrendered things. But surrender is a process. And it's not, always things, it's not always something that happens straight away. There are going to be times when we surrender something to God. And as far as we are able, we have surrendered that thing in that moment. But as we grow and mature, God is going to reveal to us that actually there's a bit more to it that needs to be handed over. Areas we thought we surrendered, God will say to us, remember that thing that you gave over to me? And you did in that moment. Actually, there's a little bit more that I'm going to need you to give. Because you see, how you react, how you reacted there was not the reaction of someone who had fully surrendered that to me. It's time to let it go. Because surrender sometimes looks like a process. It's not always instantaneous. It's not always straight away. And we're not always freed from situations straight away. Often God is patient with us and he reveals these things to us gently. Not always, but even when he doesn't, even when he does, it's always, and even when it seems hard, it's always for our good. 
I'm sure even though Joseph had seen God's faithfulness, he still had moments where he wondered why God was allowing him to go through these things. What was he doing? Why was Joseph in prison for doing nothing wrong? Why did he have to go through so much? As we watch Joseph's story unfold further, we can see that this is exactly where God needed him to be. Had Joseph gone through everything, hadn't, if Joseph hadn't gone through everything he had, he wouldn't have ended up in the exact position he was. He wouldn't have been in the prison that was specifically for Pharaoh's prisoners, which also means it was one of the worst prisons in the land. But had he not been there, he wouldn't have had the chance to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. You know, God lines things up, and sometimes we don't see him in action until afterwards. And I just want to share a quick story that, that happened to me while I was away that, that illustrates this, I guess. And on the way back from Swaziland, we traveled from the capital, Babin, to Johannesburg and flew from Johannesburg up to Istanbul. And that's a 10-hour flight. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm flying, I'm like, I get on the plane, stick my earphones in, and I don't really want to have a lot to do with the people around me. I just want to get, get to the destination. Um, and actually, I'd been talking about this with one of the girls on the team, and we were laughing. She, she'd said, actually, one of her friends sees the, the big tin plane as like the uh, most amazing evangelistic tool in the world because they can go and you have these however many hours stuck beside this person and they can't run away and you have this chance to share the gospel. Uh, Maybe one day I'll be there, but even now, I'm still like, I just want to get this journey. I just want to be at my destination. Um, so anyways, I was meant to be sitting next to one of the other girls on the team, but at the last minute, she got upgraded into a business class. So I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to have two seats to myself. This is amazing. And I, got, I walked down, and I checked my, ticket num- or checked my seat number on my ticket, and then I looked at my seat, and there was someone in this other seat that was meant to be my empty seat and I was like and I actually I think I don't know if it was tiredness or what but I remember like just looking and being like why why are you in this seat um so much so the air hostess came over and she was like are you okay Um, but anyway so I sat down and kind of got settled in for the the 10-hour flight um and I put a movie on and as I was watching the movie I became aware that the guy that was sitting next to me was quite agitated. And I thought, oh, he mustn't be a fan of flying. Um, and anyway, I kept watching the movie, but he just, he just wasn't comfortable, and I don't know, I, couldn't, I didn't know what the situation was, but he just wasn't at peace. And when the meal came round, we ended up starting a conversation, and so he'd asked what I was doing in Swaziland, and so I told him, and, and then I asked, what had you been doing here? And he began to share this really heartbreaking story. So he was over for a funeral, um, and I won't go into the details of any more than that, but he began to share this really crazy story that actually, like, if Hollywood made it into a movie, you would think that they were going far-fetched. It was that crazy and heartbreaking. And in that moment, I was like, God, what, what, I, like, what do I even say? Like, what can I, what do I do? And so I listened, and just allowed him to unburden his heart and I just really felt like God wanted me to pray with him 
I was like, right, he's going to think what a weirdo sitting next to me. I have to sit next to me for another five hours or whatever. And I was like, okay, okay. So then there was a gap in the conversation, and I was like, I would really love to pray for you. Like, I don't know what you believe in, but I would really love to pray for this situation. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he started to tell me how the the family he'd been with were were Christians. And I was like, okay, okay. So it's not super weird. Um, But then he kept talking, and I was like, I meant no. I meant no. She just said, want to pray for you now. But that was okay. And it got to the point in the conversation where, again, he just became overwhelmed by his emotion. And he he was crying with a complete stranger on a plane. And so then I was able to pray for him and to pray for that situation. And I didn't share the gospel with him. I didn't correct when he said, you know, that he's a spiritual person and not a religious person. And I didn't say, oh, me neither. Uh, but I just, I just was there and just was an ear for him to, to open his heart to. And, you know, I don't know how God's going to use that, but I'm trusting that he is gonna glo- he's going to redeem that situation and that he's going to use it for his glory. Um, but as it turns out, he was not meant to be sitting in that seat either. And he'd swapped seats with someone else to be in that seat. And I was like, okay, God, you, you set that up for a reason. Like, I literally couldn't have been offered more clearly that I had to, to pray with this guy. But, um, yeah, sometimes we don't understand. And sometimes, and even for me, like, I have no idea. I, I have no way of contacting him or anything to find out how he is now or how that situation is. And so I just really have to trust God with that and, and know that he is going to work it for his good. And so ultimately, Joseph would never have been brought before Pharaoh and he would never have been able to interpret the dream that God gave Pharaoh, revealing the great prosperity that the land would see, but also the great famine that would follow. It's interesting to think of Jacob and to think of Joseph. Many of the troubles Jacob faced were because of his own doing. The Bible tells us that Jacob literally wrestled with God. Joseph, on the other hand, despite the troubles he faced that were often not his own doing, trusted God. In the midst of everything Joseph went through, Joseph was training in the service of Potiphar as the steward of his household and estate. And that experience allowed him then, when when, when Pharaoh put him over the land of Egypt to look after the crops, it allowed him to have, he had the necessary skills to do that. Joseph had been trained and God had put him in an exact places he needed to be to do the tasks that God had for him. Because Joseph knew who he was and whose he was, he knew it was God's plan to use him to save not only his family, but to save Egypt. God gave Joseph those two prophetic dreams to reveal part of his future. Joseph was shown where his future would take him, but not the road that, he would, that would take him there. Joseph expected to become a ruler of some kind, but the reality that to, for him to get there, he had to go through slavery. Then when he earned favor with his master and it looked more possible than it had ever looked before that his dreams were true and would become to fruition, he was thrown in prison for a crime he did not commit. Joseph could have allowed these realities to dull the expectation he had of how God had intended to use him and how God would use him. He could have allowed the situation to rob him of his purpose in the places and situation God had placed him. But he didn't. And instead, Joseph trusted God's sovereignty and excelled in the places he never expected to be in. He was preferred by Potiphar 
And even after he lost his position in Potiphar's home, he found favor in the eyes of the prison guard, which eventually led him to Pharaoh, and ultimately the moment he could not only get, offer forgiveness to his brothers, but he could save them from the famine. So just as we're finishing off, there's three kinds of disappointment that I want to just suggest to you that could be an issue. The first is disappointment in a situation. We saw back at the very beginning when the, the disappointment, that, or probably disappointment's not a strong enough word, but the, the disappointment that Joseph's mother and father, Rachel and Jacob, felt when they were not able to get married straight away. There's so many instances in our lives where we may feel disappointment because the situations that we're in or we're facing are totally out with our control, but we don't know how to change them. The next is disappointment or disappointing someone or being disappointed in someone. I imagine that Potiphar, knowing Joseph, knew that actually Joseph was innocent, but to keep up his own image and to keep up the image of his wife, he had to throw him in jail. I imagine he felt some disappointment towards his wife. And Joseph probably felt disappointment in Potiphar because Potiphar knew Joseph's character He knew that while he was in his household, everything prospered, and yet he still believed the lie. And I'm sure Joseph felt disappointment when the butler forgot about him for two years. The two years after he um, interpreted his dream, the butler forgot to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. And finally, disappointment in yourself. Rachel is an example of this. She wasn't able to do what women in in that day were supposed to do, what they found their value in. And maybe you feel like that this morning. Your disappointment in yourself, maybe you don't feel like you're living up to the expectations that you have of yourself or the expectations that the people around you have of yourself. One of the biggest lies disappointment will tell you is that God is disappointed in you. We allow, when we allow disappointment to root, in a, root itself in our hearts, it begins to feed us lies like God is disappointed in you. And that is the biggest lie of all. Surrendering our expectations and surrendering our reality. Surrendering our disappointments and ultimately each one of us needs to surrender what we think is a need for control and realize that when we feel like we have to have control, it really is a want and we need to give it to God because needs and wants are very different and control is a want. Surrendering to God though is a need and actually the more we try to control things, the more we try to hold on to things that we should be surrendering, the less control we have and and potentially we can cause ourselves more pain and hurt in the process. So I want to spend some time just at the end as the the worship team come and do the last song. Let's not leave this morning without having a frank conversation with God, without asking him to search our hearts. Are we fighting to be in control? Are we harboring disappointment? What do we need to leave behind this morning? What do we need to surrender afresh to God? What do we need to leave in the hands of our Father who knows us, who loves us, who gave his Son so that we don't need to carry these things? Let's 
set down our expectations and allow him to have control in all areas of our lives. Just let me pray.